In Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, we encounter the reality that the gospel story has the power to transform every single aspect of our story. And that's exactly what we were made for. This is Ephesians, and we're Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Um, so before I get started here, let's just uh, take a second to prepare our hearts before God. Just like we did a minute ago um, with Paul. Let's just take a second, close our eyes, and uh, prepare. So no matter where you're coming from here today, no matter where um, you've been in your life, no matter what has taken place this week, I want to encourage you to open your heart up to God. Sunday morning isn't just some social event. It's not just somewhere we come to feel better about ourselves. This is a place where we come to experience the power of Jesus. I want us to just prepare our hearts to ingest his word and to go out of this place excited about his work. So let's pray. Dear Lord, soften our hearts today to hear your word. Humble us under it. Let us be honest about who we are. Embrace who Jesus is for us in our place. We come here today a broken and needy people in need of your grace, guilty in need of your mercy. Through Jesus, you see us as clean and holy, and we thank you for the love that you show us every day, despite of our actions and failures. We love you. Amen. So, I've noticed that, uh, you can open your eyes now if you haven't done that, but I've noticed that's a pretty common thing in Christianity. I've been a Christian here for about nine years now, and I've realized it's a pretty common to be asked, what's your favorite Bible verse? And if you're a girl, it's probably Psalm 139, 14, or Psalm 46, 5. Um, if you ever played sports, it's probably Philippians 4, 13. You know, I can dunk a basketball through Christ in me. Um, everybody loves John three sixteen. But I say that all that just to say uh, these texts that I'm versing, the, the, the text that I'm versing, the verses that I am talking about today. Um, or what I would say if you ask me, what are your favorite Bible verses? Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 are my favorite verses in the Bible. And honestly, these verses were probably the reason that I'm saved here today. Most, a lot of people have this moment where they uh, can remember, you know, maybe it was in a Bible study or vacation Bible school where you tangibly remember when you were saved. But for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a moment, it was this period of time, and that period of time was the time it took me to read the book of Ephesians. These 10 verses that I'm preaching through today are the verses that help me to understand who I am, why I need a Savior, who that Savior is, and it, I'm really excited that, that I was asked to preach in this sermon series. Whenever Paul sent me the list of, uh, he said, you can pick from any text, just pick one. And I saw this text on there. I said, this is the one that I'm going to pick. And so while this is my favorite text um, in the Bible, I think it's one of the hardest texts in Ephesians to preach. One, because it covers everything that there is to cover in Christianity. It covers everything from life to death. We have, you know, on average 77 um, years of life to cover here today. So our sermon will kind of cover, be like a, a Christianity 101. Um, if you guys know me, you know that Monday to Friday, I am a, uh, I work for a general contracting company. We build 
buildings, houses, all that good stuff. But I can tell you this. I don't know one good builder who doesn't have a Ph.D. in YouTube Academy. You can get on there and learn how to build anything. You can learn how to build a skyscraper in 15 minutes, learn how to lay floor, learn how to do, you know, wire an outlet. You can learn anything in about 15 minutes. And so that's kind of what Ephesians 2 is going to be for us today. We're going to uh, go from point A to point B. It may not hit everything in between, but we'll get through a lot of the important parts. And Ephesians 2 answers these primary questions that are essential to being a Christian. So these questions are, one, why do we need a Savior? Two, who is our Savior? Three, why did he save us? And four, what do we do once we're saved? So don't use me saying that as, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is the only Bible verse you should ever read. But I can say that if you ever get the grace of walking with somebody in becoming a Christian, that this is one of the verses you should point to and say, read these verses. It'll help you understand who you are and what it means to be a Christian. So let's, let's go ahead and jump into the text here. Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is a kind of a different picture than we typically hear about ourselves, right? We live in this Luke Bryan style world where we say most people are good. We believe that, you know, most people are raised correctly. They're taught to, to have manner, to be hardworking and respectable. And then when they aren't, we get mad, we lash out, we say things like, well, there's a special place in hell for those type of people. We look at people who act differently than us and aren't in the cultural norm and we freak out. But I want to look at this text again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, and once you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's me. That's you. That's my four-month-old son, Henry. He actually turned four months old today. Um, we're, we're dead. We are, and, and I'm, you're probably thinking, well, we're not dead. That's kind of an exaggeration, right? Like, you can stand in front of me, you can talk, you can breathe, you can do all the things. Anybody can do that. You don't have to be a Christian to be alive. But Paul, in this text, he's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about being separated from God. I think that's a really good way to think about death in general. Death is, is separation, so if you die on earth, you're separated from your body, you're separated from your family, you're separated from all the things here right now. In the same way, when you're spiritually dead, you're separated from God, you're separated from heaven, you're separated from joy and satisfaction forever. We are sinners cut off from the things of God because of the deep sin that is inside of us. John Piper said it like this, you came into the world dead, not sort of hard of hearing toward the gospel, not simply crippled in good works, not struggling to keep your head above the waters of sin. You were dead, spiritually lifeless 
and unmoving. Everything that a dead corpse can contribute to becoming alive, you could do spiritually to believe in Christ. Nothing. Dead means dead. I want to just take a second here and say, notice how Paul says you. I feel like a lot of times we we separate it. We say, well, there's us Christians, and then there's everybody else. And while everybody else might be dead in their sins, we were maybe raised in church. We were maybe, um, we had some leg ahead. We were baptized as babies, maybe. We we weren't sinners. We weren't, you know, we, we, we had the right path. No, this text says every single one of us, even us as Christians, were sinners. So Paul gives us this very detailed description of who we were. And it's kind of dark and depressing, but he doesn't say it so that we can become depressed and say, well, I'm just a sinner and I can never change. It's just the, it's just the way that I am, but rather he says it to set the stage for what is to come. So that's, that's the answer to that first question. Why do we need a Savior? We need a Savior because we're in need of saving. We are sinners separated from God on our own. On our own, we cannot muster up the faith. So like I said, he sets this dark backdrop so that way in the next few verses he can just absolutely blow us away with the light of the gospel. He says this so beautifully in the next few verses. So you were dead in the trespasses and sins you once walked. And then verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with him in the heavenly places. Oops, skip to verse there. Alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raises us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of grace, of his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Well, I butchered trying to read that verse, but um, how beautiful is that text? How beautiful is that we, we have this dark, sin, depressing, anxiety on our hearts and then this beautiful text that comes after it. This text should give us as Christians deep peace and excitement about what God has done in our hearts. But this text is full of a lot of, as Paul said earlier, like Christian coin terms that we hear every single day. You have mercy, you have grace, you have love. And if we're not careful, these all words can just mean just the kind of the same exact thing. You hear the mercy of God and the love of God and the grace of God. And we kind of just use that to say, you know, God's affection toward us. You know, it's kind of like pop and soda. They mean the exact same thing, and, you know, just to say, oh, I want a pop. I want a carbonated beverage. And then if you're an absolute lunatic, you might say Coke. My, my sister, she's, she lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, there was a time we were at a restaurant, I don't remember where, and she, uh, she asked, do you want a Coke? And I was like, sure. She said, what kind? And I said, regular, I guess. And, and then she was like, no, do you want like Dr. Pepper or Sprite? I'm like, that is not, that does not make a lick of sense. <laughs> but in the same way, mercy and grace and love can kind of do that if we're not careful. And one way that's been very helpful for me to learn the difference between grace and mercy and love. Um, so I'm going to say this a couple of times. This way it kind of sticks in your head. So grace is getting something that you could never deserve. And mercy 
is not getting something bad that you do deserve. I'm going to say that again because I think it's really helpful when you're reading the Bible to know what these terms mean. So grace is not is getting something that you could never deserve, and mercy is not getting something bad that you do deserve. And then love is the deep affection that God has for us in which grace and mercy flow. God, despite our sins, withholds his punishment from us when we rightly deserve it. On our own, we rightly deserve to go to hell. That's mercy. And then through that, because of Jesus' death on the cross, he forgives us of all our sins. He gives us life eternally, joy and happiness unending. That's grace. God loves us so deeply that we, we can't even understand it. You might ask me, Logan, what about our act of faith? You say, you know, the Bible teaches that we're so sinful that we can't even have faith. That, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? It doesn't make sense that, like, I have to have, make that one action in faith in order to be saved, and that is completely true. But if I'm so sinful, how do I even do that? So luckily for me and every other pastor who ever preaches this text, um, Paul the Apostle answers that for us. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So let's kind of get into this and see what he's talking about. So by grace we have been saved through faith. So grace being giving, being given everything that we could never deserve, and then faith being the belief and you know the love toward Christ. Um, we are saved by loving Christ, right? Well, here's the question I want to ask about this text: What are the words "this" and "it" referring to? Here it says, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. And in commentaries, you kind of have two ways that you could interpret this text. One, it and this could be referring to salvation in a general sense. So salvation is a gift of God, um, not a result of works. And that's true, 100% true. Salvation is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. But in reading this text, and because of verse 9, what follows, not a result of works so that no one may boast, I think that the other option here makes more sense. Instead of referring to salvation in the general sense, it rever- this and it probably refer to faith in a specific sense. So I'll read it like that. For grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, and this faith is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. God Paul is saying we are completely sinful. We are saved by having faith in Jesus, but we are so blinded by our sin that even, the, that even our faith has to be a gift from God. He overcomes my hardened heart with his grace, so Paul is saying that I'm so sinful that if you give me the ability to, to give faith, I'll even mess that up. I will boast in my faith. I will say things like, look at me. 
I was smart enough to make the right decision. But you're not, you can't be good like me because you're not a follower of Jesus. But the truth is, God loves us so deeply that even when we can't muster up faith in our hearts, he overcomes our hardened hearts to the gospel. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin that makes it necessary. So if I'm saved by good works, what now? Do I just sit here happily? Can I just sin to the glory of God? There's nothing else for me to do if I'm not saved by works. And so luckily Paul is a smart guy. Not Pastor Paul. He's not that smart. But Paul the Apostle, uh, and he knew we were going to ask all these questions. So in verse 10 he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk, we should walk in them. So if you're, if you're not careful here, you'll miss what Paul is doing. So look at, look at these parallels. In verse 1, we are dead in our sins. In verse 5, we are alive with Christ. In verse 2, we are walking in sin and transgression. And then in verse 10, we are walking in good works. So in Christ, we are a completely different person, a completely different being. So I'm going to answer this in two different ways. So why should we be walking in good works? So let me find where I'm at here. So one, our good works are a sign of our salvation. James 2.18 says, Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So if you've been saved by the grace of God, that means, as weird as this may seem, that the Holy Spirit has literally come inside of your body and changed your heart, changed your desires. The way that we talk should be different. The way that we speak and think should be different. So I want you here today to examine your own heart. If your desires haven't changed, then I want you to truly pray to God for him to change them. Because that's what it means to be a Christian, for us to love and care for the needs of others. And to be transparent with you, that's something I have to do on a daily basis. And my, my wife will tell you this, this before anybody else will, but I lack empathy. I have no ability to understand what other people are feeling. It's hard for me to kind of place myself in their shoes. But I pray that God breaks my heart for the needs of others. And if we love Jesus, we will love the things that Jesus loves. And then second, the most important reason that we walk in works is because our good works do not save us, but the observance of our good works might save others. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you feel like the world has a magnifying glass up to your life, use it to your advantage. The main reason we walk in good works is so that people will see the life-changing power of Jesus in, in our lives. How we give our time and money should be different. How we talk to others should be different. And you're saying, are you saying, Logan, I should be perfect, right? I should be different. I should be perfect, but I'm not. 
Well, that's not necessarily true because the reason we're saved is because we can't be perfect. And even after having the Holy Spirit, that's not going to happen. But how we mess up and how we forgive and how we apologize should be different. Your life could be the one means by which someone sees the grace of God. So when you format a sermon, it's usually kind of about the same every time you do it. You have your intro, which kind of creates chaos, and you create a need. And then you have the, the, middle of the, te- the middle of the sermon where you go through the text and tell what it means. And lastly, you have an application. Well, lucky for me, this text does every single bit of that for me. So I have, you know, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace, but God comes and takes it away for me. And then I walk in good works. So I'm going to end it a little differently. I'm going to, for you guys that follow a, uh, an outline closely, like I gave at the beginning, you're probably saying, why did not, why has he not answered any of these questions that he asked at the beginning? But, if you ever have the grace of walking through salvation with somebody, whether it's a loved one or a friend, this, te- like I said, this text can be an outline because it answers so many of these questions. So one, why do I need a savior? I need a savior because I'm in need of saving. I'm a sinner separated from God. And on my own, I can't do enough good to tip the scales in my favor. Because even my faith, even my good works, apart from Christ, are rooted in my own selfish intention. Two, who is that Savior? 2,000 years ago, a baby named Jesus was born. He was the Son of God, and he lived a life that I couldn't live in my place and was crucified. And on the cross, he took the punishment for my sin. Whoever puts their faith in that truth will be saved here today. Three, why did he save us? Simple answer here, because he loves you. No no pretty, cutesy reason. God loves you deeply because you're created in his image and nothing, nothing else. There's nothing you can do to contribute to that. He dies for you because you can't be good enough and follow the rules. And then lastly, what do we do once we're saved? Once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we just live day to day as dead people who have been made alive. We walk in good works that God has prepared for us beforehand. All we do is participate in the work that he's already created. But what if I don't? What if I've had a bad day? What if, is it all over? Do I lose my salvation? No. The same forgiveness that saved you from the depth of sin that you were hell-bound for is again with you tomorrow when you fail, is again with you the following day until the day that you were united with God eternally. So just like we did at the beginning, I want you to close your eyes again and prepare to, to end this thing. If you're in here today and you're not a Christian, or you're just kind of you, don't, you know, it doesn't really affect your life, your, your nominal at best. I want you to know that there's a Savior who loves you deeply. A Savior who, if you put your faith in his finished work on the cross, he has taken your sin, he has taken your shame, and extinguished it on the cross. There's true life and joy in Christ that you will never find anywhere else. I can promise you that. So let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, though, that even though I'm a sinner and should be separated from you from the sins that I commit on a daily basis, 
you withhold that punishment from me and place it on Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have given me joy and unending and life eternally with you. There's nothing that can take that away from me. God, you are so worthy. You're so worthy of our praise. You're so worthy of our love. Help us leave here today stirred up to walk in the works that you've prepared for us to walk in. Let us be so stirred up about the life change that you have made in our hearts that we can't keep it in. We love you. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone. And we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.